Hello folks, this is Chopping It Up with CJ. I'm your host, Champ James, and this is Turf Talk Thursday. This is episode five of season two of Turf Talk Thursday. And what I'm going to be doing on this show is I'm going to be going over each game, giving you a breakdown of basically my expectations of the game, which result in the final score. Then I'll look at the betting line for the game, the over-under on the game, and then apply a confidence score to the games. For those of you all who are new to the show or just in general aren't following me yet on Twitter, uh, go ahead and throw me that follow. It's at CJFlorida9. It's at CJ, the entire state of Florida spelled out, and the number nine. This is episode five, like I said, which means we're looking at week five in the NFL season that's upcoming. Yep, we're, we're here. We are a month into the NFL season. We've gotten to see some good things, some bad things, some ugly things, and just some things in general that I'm, ugh. Uh, I'm a Saints fan, so it has not been a great month, but at the same point in time, oddly encouraging. As, as mad and sad as I have been about how the Saints have performed, go ahead and tell me right now that with health being a part of it, that you really want to play against the Saints of your NFL team. The Saints are healthy. Do you want to play against them? Probably not. But, hey, Saints do not look like the team I thought they were going to be. But that's me being selfish, not giving you the info that you need. I want to go ahead and jump right in and give you that info, especially for the Thursday night game, because I'm doing this a little bit late, later than I'd like to. And I want to give you some fantasy advice, because that's what I do about the Thursday night game. I give you fantasy advice. Um, it's not the greatest thing on the planet. You know, there's other people who are much more well-known for it. But at the end of the day, I think I do a decent job assessing the fantasy, fantasy landscape. Fantasy. Maybe I had a uh, vanity on the mind. For those, uh, if you know, you know, uh, from the 80s. But uh, fantasy football uh, outlook for the Thursday night game. And without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and get into that. Because by the time you listen to this, if you're listening you might actually be missing out. So it'd be too close to game time for me to be putzing around talking about the Saints and uh, that wonderful, wonderful, most beautiful woman, Vanity, from the 80s. Anyway, uh, the game that is being played tonight at 8.15 Eastern Standard Time, this is again October 6th of 2022, is the Colts. They're traveling to the Mile High City. Denver Broncos are the team that they're going to be playing against. Let me give you the fantasy outlook. We're going to start with the home team. This one seems fairly simple and very straightforward. If you are in a position where you're still starting Russell Wilson, you are one of the most faithful people that I've met in my life. Um, He has just not been good. All the advanced metrics agree with it, but also just from the eye test, he's not been a good football player this year. Does that mean he's a bad football player in general? Absolutely not. He just hasn't been good. So you're not starting Russell Wilson if you can at all help it. You're likely starting Cortland Sutton Just because if someone's going to catch targets from Russell Wilson, it will be him. Running backs, you can start Melvin Gordon. But here's my thing. You have to have an expectation that Melvin Gordon might not make it through the game as a starter. Mike Boone might take over uh, as the guy who is the the person that's going to be getting carries if Melvin Gordon can't get out of his own head. No one else on this team is a starter on the offensive side of the ball. Not Albert O, not Jerry Judy at this stage. And Mike Boone is a deep league flyer. I'm playing Mike Boone in one league as an example. That's a a, a deep, deep league um, that I'm playing Mike Boone in. The Denver defense is a good play this week because of the matchup. And we're going to get into that as far as the road team here. People that you can start. You ready? 
Seb? No one. You should start no one from the offense that is being played in Indy this week. You have two guys who qualify as one, I think qualifies as a flex, and I'm willing to put the other guys a flex as well. I think wholeheartedly that Michael Pittman Jr. is a flex possibility. He is not the guy that I would start in the flex position. He is a flex possibility. He is going up, as I said, play that Denver defense. He's going up against Patrick Sertain, most likely because Michael Pittman does not move into the slot often. He'll probably be on the exterior. Uh, Patrick Sertain is a superior football player, in my opinion. I think he's going to hold Michael Pittman Jr. under 55 yards receiving, no touchdowns, probably four receptions. So if you're looking for nine points in a PPR format, go for it. I don't think that's going to get you the value you want. The guy that's flex worthy here is Naheem Hines based on how things look. Naheem Hines is going to probably get a lot of checkdowns out of the backfield. Matt Ryan is not driving the ball downfield, and they'll probably try to keep things moving by getting three, four-yard chunks because they don't have the normal rushing game that they usually have with Jonathan Taylor, which hasn't even been affected with Jonathan Taylor. As far as one guy who's a flyer, if you're in a super deep league, a 16-teamer or at most a 14-teamer, you might look at Philip Lindsay. He's a good pickup to stash on your bench. And if you're playing in a daily fantasy format, he might be someone to throw on to your single game uh, daily fantasy. Because again, this is in general a good run blocking line. For some reason, they're not doing well with Jonathan Taylor. Philip Lindsay is a more than capable running back. I know that they have Jackson, who's probably going to start the game, but I think Lindsay's going to get the bulk of the carries because he's just a better running back or superior, in my opinion. So that's the fantasy outlook. You're only starting with confidence. The Denver defense and Cortland Sutton. You're starting with some level of concern. Melvin Gordon and Naheem Hines. I'm advising you not to start Michael Pittman Jr. You should have a better option. There's plenty of them this week. Or Russell Wilson. Same thing. You can stream a quarterback. Hell, in the Commanders Tennessee game. Uh, you can stream Carson Wentz. I know that sounds funny, but they don't have the same pressure rate that Carson Wentz faced the last two weeks against the Eagles or the Cowboys. He throws the ball deep. He'll probably get you some points. Or you can start Ryan Tannehill, who was my uh, sleeper on the week uh, on this week's show. All right, so let's go to the actual game and try to get into what I expect out of it. This should be a very annoying game for people who don't like defense. And the funny part is the Colts don't even have their best version of their defense. Again, Shaq Leonard, I'm going to have to get used to it. Used to be Darius Leonard and Shaq Leonard. He's out again, most likely. Um, Good goodness. It just seems like the Colts are a mess in most places. Um, On the offensive side of the ball, left tackle is not doing the job that's expected. Uh, The interior of the line is just kind of a jumbled mess. They're talented. They're good football players, but it just doesn't look right. Uh, The the, the mechanics of this team don't look right. And speaking of bad mechanics, that offense, they have no excuse. We can say Javonta Williams is an excuse if they don't look good tonight, but what about the first four weeks or at least three and a half? They had him. This team is just in shambles. You have a head coach that, honestly, it does not seem like things are, are functioning in the manner that makes sense. Russell Wilson is all out of sorts. Um, he looks terrible throwing the ball short. Like, I don't know what the hell is going on with Russell Wilson. He's just off. 
And I don't know if it's just an emotional thing. Sometimes there's things that affect people off the field that comes on the field because these aren't people. But Russell Wilson does not look like the same quarterback right now. But based on everything that's offered, I do expect there to be some scoring. We've seen some games where the expectation is that they're not going to score and then they score some. These are not amazing defenses. These are competent defenses. I expect the Broncos to win this one 23 to 17. I am giving more credit than possibly should be due from a scoring standpoint. But again, this is how these games tend to go. You end up getting more points than expected, but still not a lot. All right, the over-under, I mean, the, the spread on this is Denver favored by three. I have them covering in this particular outlook, and the over-under is 42, so I technically have the under since my combined score is 40. I have a confidence level of six on both of those. I think that Denver should win this game. It's a home game. Um, this year, true, and I do not consider the first game of the season a true one, but true short week games, Thursday night short week games, the home team is 3-0. and That first game... Again, you have the whole season to plan, and also there's not... It's basically you had a whole bye week before that, so it's not the same as a short week game. Again, they're 3-0 this season on Thursday night is the home team. All right, we're going to move on to the next game, and this is going to be played in London. After my team lost last week in London, let's look at two other teams who are 3-1, and one, oddly enough. One is expected, one is not, uh, with the New York Giants playing against the Green Bay Packers. Now, in this particular matchup, I'm going to start with the Giants. Um, if you listen to my Week Side Wednesday show, I did mention the Giants at the end of the show when talking about uh, POCs or non-POCs as quarterbacks. Uh, for those of you all who don't know what a POC is, first off, damn. Secondly, nothing wrong with ignorance. I'm going to help you out. It means person of color. So, um, the quarterback position for the Giants is one that is kind of in flux right now. Daniel Jones, who has done a... In some games, he's done a pretty good job. In other games, he's looked pretty mediocre, if not below average. Uh, he is injured. And the big portion of his game that's worked out is his mobility opening up guys downfield. So now you have an injured or compromised Daniel Jones, who has an ankle injury. You have a receiving core that is bereft of talent right now from the NFL standard, where their best players are either out for the season or still just not back yet. It's all Saquon Barkley. Literally, all Saquon Barkley for an offensive line that has not done the greatest job uh, getting things done, opening up holes. Saquon Barkley has taken over in a lot of respects. Luckily, they get the Packers. Now, the Packers are a really good defense, but it's their pass defense that is exceptional uh, in a lot of respects. The run defense has been pretty odd. Um, they have been both good and bad. The numbers they've, put, they've given up aren't that bad, but when you look at them, it just looks like there's open places to run and the running backs are missing holes, you're not going to see that against with, with Saquon Barkley. He's not going to miss those. So that actually bodes pretty well that they're playing against the Packers. Now, on the Packers' side, they're getting better week after week on the offensive side of the ball. They're understanding who they are, what they should do, which is run the ball, timely passes from Aaron Rodgers, get the ball into the hands of talented young receivers, and not expect them to be uh, what they are. Again, I said this years ago, I believe it was 2017, Everyone expected when Jordy Nelson went down that Devontae Adams was immediately going to vault up. I even picked him. Thought it was going to be great. It was a Sunday night draft. Jordy Nelson in a preseason game hurt himself on Sunday morning. Devontae Adams was mediocre as hell. Then he finally caught on. The next season got better. And then after that, he became a stud. Takes time for some guys. Some guys come out the gate. So you're going to see guys like Dobbs and Watson continue to expand their roles. 
At the end of the day, here's how I see this shaking out. Saquon Barkley is going to have a pretty damn big game. If you have him in fantasy, you want to play him. Obviously, you're playing him anyway, but kudos to you if you have him on your roster. I see the Packers winning this one. And what is technically, from an NFL game standpoint, a low-scoring affair, 24-14. to Again, that 10-point win, the Packers are 8-point favorites. I have this as one of my locks of the week, folks. Eight points is a lot of points to, to cover. But when you have a compromised quarterback that utilizes his athleticism as part of his package of, of things, he does not have great receivers to throw to at this stage against a pass defense that is pretty damn good. You have a focal point of Saquon Barkley, who honestly will still have a pretty damn good game, but it's going to be hard for them to score more than 14 points. I think 17 is the cap. I think the Packers can score against this Giants defense. The Giants defense has done pretty well, but Wink Martindale, his style of defense eats against younger quarterbacks. Aaron Rodgers is not that. And if they had a secondary that could hold up against a guy like Aaron Rodgers, I could easily see the Packers. They're going to exceed. They're going to get at least 24 points. That's my, my belief. So if you look at it from the perspective of 17 is the max I can see the Giants getting and 24 is the minimum I can see the Packers getting that eight points that they need to cover while still a whole point over a touchdown and a pretty large spread for an NFL contest. If Davis Webb has to come in this game and play cancel Christmas, this is a double digit win. I'm putting this as one of my locks of the week. I say one of because I'm going to get to the second one. I usually don't have more. I usually don't even have one in a week, but I have two this week. That's a lock. Put your money down. I will be searching out to put my money down as well. Over-under is 42. I have a combined score of 38. I have the under here. I'm not saying that this is any sort of lock. In fact, I put a five on it. That means bet at your leisure. I'm not telling you to bet, but I'm telling you not to bet either. It's it's all on you if you want to. Moving on to the 1 p.m. slate of games. We're going to start off with a pretty saucy game, at least when we looked at it before the season, and now we realize this could be a meaty, this could be the worst game of the season, uh, of the week. Could be the worst game of the week. The worst game to watch, because at least some of these other bad games might be competitive. This one might be a boat race. This is the Pittsburgh Steelers at the Buffalo Bills. So you get a Buffalo team that really, really in their heart, you can ask them offline, thought they were going to go 17-0. And that's not shade I'm throwing. They felt that way because they felt like they're the, the best team in the NFL. And honestly, they're good enough to feel that way. And then you had a loss where, honestly, they were the better team visually against the Dolphins. But to be honest, they didn't deserve that win. They got outplayed. Um, and then against the Ravens, they did their job late in the game. Kudos to them. They come in angry against a rookie quarterback and a defense that doesn't have its best player and an offensive line that can't block. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So, I think Kenny Pickett did give them a spark because, again, he needed to replace Mitch Trubisky, not because Trubisky is that much worse than Kenny Pickett. Don't let the smooth taste fool you. Kenny Pickett is not that much better than Mitch Trubisky. What he is is not scared of going out and playing. He has the whole organization and fan base behind him. Mitch Trubisky never had that. Don't let people lie to you. If they say that they trusted in Mitch, they're just lying to you or supported him. Other than supporting the team, they didn't support Mitch. This is going to be the worst possible scenario. I looked at something that said, and I'm just going to go off topic here for a little bit. uh, FPI, Football Power Index. It looked at the percentage chance of the Steelers to win 
each of their next four games. Here's how math works, folks. Their percentage chance to win each of the next four games, so anywhere from zero to 100, right? So the most you can get is a 400%. At least you can get is a a 0%. It didn't even add up to 95. So basically, I think it was 17% chance to win this game, 21, 24, and 26%. It was weird percentages like that. I'm like, yo, this is absurd. Hard way to start off, but if Kenny Pickett is anything that they think he is, he should be able to play solid football. Not great football, not even good football. Solid. Hold the water. Anyway, I'm being kind with this assessment because I trust in Mike Tomlin, and I'm thinking that Kenny Pickett might actually shock some people and get a big play to the Deontay Johnsons of the world. Buffalo, 34. Steelers. 16. That 18-point spread, which honestly, I'm hedging more towards that being larger. I feel like this is a drive-home-the-point, drive-up-the-score game for Buffalo. They are 14-point favors. That is an absurd amount of points. I think this is the largest favor against the Steelers in like four decades or something insane like that. 14 points is an insane amount of points. But this is one of my locks of the week. I think Buffalo destroys the Steelers this week. And I hate saying that because... For my money, pound for pound, I know that Bill Belichick has a better resume, but if it's truly coaching and the aspect of coaching that I think gets left out, the management of men, not the management of teaching young men how to be real men, the management of men. Mike Tomlin has done that better than any coach in the NFL. Andy Reid is second. And the reason I say this is because think about it like this. As bad as Antonio Dan Brown got, the worst thing he did with Mike Tomlin was Facebook Live. And everyone said he doesn't have control of the team. If you know what happened with Antonio Brown in the last couple of weeks, you know what I'm talking about. If you saw what happened with him with the Bucks, with Tom Dan Brady there winning the Super Bowls, you got to appreciate what Mike Tomlin did. And for people who want to say it's CTE, with all due respect, I wish you had as much faith, you know, and never mind. It's not CTE. He's been that dude since Central Michigan. He was that dude as to why he got to Central Michigan when he was in Dade County. Let's just go ahead and leave it there. Move forward. Mike Tomlin is that dude as a head coach. Immediate Hall of Famer. But unfortunately, he's going to get boat raced this weekend. Again, Lock of the week as far as that 14 points being covered by Buffalo. 46 and a half. I have the over here. I have a confidence level of five here because I think the over, if it's achieved, because technically I have the over at 50 combined points, it will be achieved by Buffalo. It will not be achieved because of a contribution from the Steelers this week. And I it pains me to say this. The Steelers could honestly be one and seven by the end of this stretch, which is just horrifying for a guy who had 15 straight winning seasons. And, and shout out to Bart Scott. His comment earlier, go look it up. He was right about what the Steelers did in the draft this year. He was 1,000% right. Okay, next game in the 1 p.m. slate. Let's look at a game that actually might be entertaining, even though it doesn't sound like one. The Los Angeles Chargers at the Cleveland Browns. I like that the, the way this one set up, sets up. I think that Justin Herbert will be able to throw the ball and get it over the top. Luckily, there's not a their number one receiver is a slot receiver. So they can take advantage of a mediocre coverage unit dealing with the slot you know 
Denzel Ward, excellent corner. But what? He's going to match up with Mike Williams and what? They're just going to not throw the ball his way. They'll just go to Palmer and they'll go to Keenan Allen if they can. Um, and then they'll use Austin Eckler for dump downs, which also something that they'll be able to take advantage of. On the opposite side of the ball, the Chargers can say whatever they want to, and maybe they'll fix it this week, but they've been trying to fix their run defense for two damn years. Ever since Brandon Staley has gotten there, they can't do a damn thing against the run. It is horrifying to watch. Not saying it's Brandon Staley's fault, but they can't stop the run. Enter Nick Damn Chubb, who's probably the best pure runner in the NFL. Derrick Henry at this stage is not that guy anymore. Saquon is a guy who is the one of the most explosive running backs, but Nick Chubb, you don't want that smoke. You don't want that problem. That leads me to this. Jacoby Brissett has played really good football. And against the Atlanta Falcons in a game that honestly was a very odd game, I expected to be close, but I had the Browns winning. They didn't get the job done. I think that they reestablished who they are, what they are. And this week, they get the, the W. Browns 24, Chargers 21. The Chargers are actually a two and a half point favorite. But one thing that goes into play here that I think is being ignored, and it's something that I think if you take Russell Wilson, Seattle Seahawks out of the equation, it's less than 30%. West Coast teams that play in that 1 p.m. East Coast slot have won less than 30% of their games. I think it was like 26% at one point without the presence of the Seattle Seahawks when Russell Wilson's the quarterback. It's some insane stat. That's straight up. That's not against a spread or anything like that. That is straight up. They don't win games when they have that 1 p.m. slot. I don't know if they're still asleep or what. That comes into play here for me also is just the game, the matchup itself speaks to them losing this game, the Chargers, but also that's a little nugget for you to take away just in case you've never heard it. All right. So I have a confidence level of five with the Browns covering that two and a half. Again, this is a coin flip game to me, but I think it'll be close. I can see the Chargers winning this one by three. That's why I say it's a coin flip. It's something that I would say, hey, I do believe that the Browns are going to win this game, which means they cover the two and a half. But I could also see the Chargers winning by three and covering that two and a half. The two and a half is sneaky. If it was three and a half, I'd have more confidence. But two and a half, that's an odd number. That's why Vegas is really good at what they do. 47 and a half is the over under here. I have a combined score of 45, which gives me an under. I have a conference level of three on this. This game can get out of hand with some big plays. Chubb is known to break off one, uh, a long run. And also Justin Herbert's known to throw the ball over the top. This is why I can see the over hitting here. And I would tell you to stay away from this game as a betting, just as an entire betting situation. I have a combined confidence level less than 10. That tells me that this is not a safe game to bet on. Over 10, safe game to bet on in my opinion. All right. And by over and under 10, and I'm hoping that you all got this, my confidence level of three and five is under 10. Under 10. I'm, and I'm not trying to be facetious here. I'm just making sure that I'm not going too fast because I do this with a framework of what I want to do, but then I talk off the cuff. It's not reading off of a script. Okay. Um, we're going to go on to the next game, and that's the Bears at the Vikings. This is a really uh, a weird game for me. And the reason it's weird to and for me is because this should be a bludgeoning and a blowout. The Vikings should bludgeon and blow out the Bears. The offense looks to be in shambles. Justin Fields has not played well, but he's also in a situation where I don't think any young quarterback would play well. Not a joke. I don't care if he's Trevor Lawrence or who would not play well in this scenario. He's basically in 
he, he's he's in a terrible scenario. I'll just put it like that. Currently, um, <clears throat> and they don't have David Montgomery, um, or he's at least questionable right now. He's probably not going to play when it comes down to game time. On the other side, the Vikings, they are a bit healthier than they were before. You know, your Delvin Cook got through that game with the Saints without being re-injured. That type of thing, right? I do think that the Vikings should pretty much control this game, but I do feel like the score is not going to be too out of whack. Give me the Vikings with an odd score of 25 to 17. Okay, here's where things get really dicey for me. I literally put down 25 to 17 because I felt that this will be an awkward game. That's why I have an awkward score as the final for the Vikings. That's an eight-point spread. The over-under here is seven and a half. Minnesota favored by seven and a half. Can't make this shit up, folks. Again, Vegas is legit. <laughs> so, I have the Vikings covering by half a point. I have a conference level of one on this. I There's a lot of weirdness with this game. Literally, the score was weird. I feel weird about this game. Keep in mind, the Vikings are coming back from having played in London, and now they have to go on... Now they have to go and play against a divisional opponent, I should say. Could be real ugly and we've seen teams that are clearly superior lose these types of games so i wouldn't touch this one with that line that seven and a half scares the hell out of me the over under is 44 technically i have the under at 42 i think this is fine to bet on i think this will be an under game because this could easily be vikings cover easily they score 31 points and the bears score damn 10 I think it's fine to have the under. I just don't think the Bears' offense is good enough at this stage to tell me to bet an over for them, even at 44 points, which is pretty low. Next game, Lions at the Patriots. People have been driving Ferraris, and I'm being facetious, off of betting the over on Lions games. And maybe they can do the same this week. I'm just going to make this one simple. Jared Goff, clean pocket, done well no matter who the receiving core is. Running backs have been able to run the ball really well no matter who the running backs are, period. Defense, can't stop a nosebleed. I have no clue what the hell's wrong with them. What I'm assuming they're going to do this week is they're going to play a single high safety, eight men in the box, maybe an additional linebacker on the field, and force either a compromised Mac Jones, but most likely a, a Bailey Zappi to beat them with his arm which is possible, but I think that's what they do. I have the Lions winning this one, 31 to 27. I do think that the Patriots will effectively run the ball because you can't play single high the entire game. Otherwise, they're going to force you after one big play to come back to two high at some point. So I have the Lions winning by four. Patriots are three-point favorites in this game, and it makes some sense. They should be able to run the ball. They should be able to be an effective unit, and the worst unit in this game is the Lions defense simply because they literally cannot stop the run at all. It is horrifying to watch. I just have a feeling that with the young quarterback in, if Brian Hoyer was able to play, I would understand I would take them. If it was a non-compromised Mac Jones, I'd definitely take them. But with a rookie quarterback, Bailey Zappi, I think they're going to probably apply more blitzes, weird things, and they're going to probably utilize, and this is something that you might not hear, run blitzes. Basically, you're blitzing with the purpose of forcing things to get screwed up with rush lanes. How the protections are and how it's blocked up, 
which causes things to get bounced outside, hopefully get some losses of yards. I think that that's what they're going to try to do to effectively change up what the Patriots are doing. And that Lions offense keeps going. So again, I have the Lions winning straight up, even though the Patriots are three-point favorites. I only have a confidence level of three on uh, four on this. Again, odd enough, if I was gonna, if you're going to take this at all, I would take the Lions winning straight up. I would not take them to cover because this is too low for cover to get you any money. You're going to have some sort of rake off your money. I would just say take take the money line on this one if you're going to bet on the Lions to cover. All right. The over under is 45.5. I have the over here because my combined score is 58. You'd say, wow, that's way over. You got to take the over. I only have a confidence level of five on this. Again, this could end up being a stupid screwed up game. Jared Goff could end up turning the ball over because Patriots are able to generate some sort of pressure. I still don't trust the Patriots offense too much. This just feels like a game where the over should hit, but I'm not confident on it happening. All right, next game, near and dear to my heart, New Orleans Saints, and I'm unable to attend this game. So, yeah, a little sad about that. Sorry, family. Wish I could, but I got to pick and choose since I'm now in a location where the flights are not favorable like they were uh, last year. So, anyway, Saints are hosting the Seattle Seahawks. Oof. Usually you come back, maybe the same thing hits them as the Vikings uh, as far as like that jet lag getting back. But I honestly think that the Saints are going to be somewhat healthy. Why? Because even though I don't think he's going to play, there's a possibility Jameis Winston could play this week. Alvin Kamara will play this week. Andy Dalton was competent. What I expected from him. He's a competent backup. This is the type of game where you probably want to competent back up. I think they'll probably give Jameis Winston another week off. All of these things said, I think the Saints get back to some of their, they basically run the Drew Brees playbook. With Alvin Kamara back, you'll see more screen game. You'll see uh, tight end screens. You'll see less downfield shots unless they're scripted uh, and, 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 excuse me, schemed up to happen. Ball control, long drives. Same thing. Saints defense generally does not give up a lot of explosive plays. Again, if you just look over the whole season, you had a dude, like, the Vikings didn't have explosive plays except for that last one where one of the best receivers in the league beat one of the better cornerbacks in the league. It's going to happen, right? It wasn't happening all day. They had to move uh, Justin Jefferson around to get him points. DK Metcalf is a beast. I truly and really think the Saints are going to be able to control and contain Geno Smith, who's played excellent football. Good for you, Geno. God damn, good for you. I'm so tired of people crapping on you for so long. Glad that you're getting your opportunity. You're taking full advantage of it. I uh, hope someone actually gives you a contract. Hopefully it's Seattle or someone else in general, because so many other guys who've not played nearly as well as you have this month have gotten contracts off of, hell, Mitch Trubisky was a backup all year and got a contract. But that's neither here nor there. Let's get back to this one. The Saints, I have winning 21-17 against the Seahawks. I think this will be a competitive game. I think it's going to be a ball control game. And I think it's going to be kind of like an early boxing match where you're just going to have a lot of jab, 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 trying to feel each other out. And then late in the game, you might see a couple of explosive plays occur. Saints are five and a half point favors here. I hate the number five and a half. If you've ever talked to me about betting, five and a half is my least favorite number as far as an NFL line especially if it's the home team with five and a half. Ugh. Okay. 
So technically, I have the Seahawks covering this. Only a confidence level of three. The Saints could blow them out. And that's me just saying that as a fan. That's not just me saying that as a fan. No, it is the Saints could blow them out. Young secondary. They've got a lot of speed and talent. But even though it's looked bad, if Jameis Winston plays, especially, this is the type of game where the Saints can get some deep shots. This is also the type of game where, and as well as he's played, with the low pressure rate that they've had, Saints could bring some blitzes. It could possibly get Geno in some bad positions and maybe get a turnover, uh, something that the Saints haven't been doing this season. So, I don't have a lot of confidence in this, even though I have this as a close game. That's why I'm saying stay away from that line. Five and a half is just ugly anyway. The over-under this is 46.5. I have the under. I have a decent amount of confidence that this one is going to cover. Now, I have six is my confidence score on this for the undercovering. Why not have it higher, right? It's because this is the type of game that can be under the whole time, and then you get some ridiculousness late. A big play, DK Metcalf, who is a ridiculous human, could have a big play, and then the Saints try to have a big play. And all of a sudden, that over-under that was pretty much easily achieved is no longer easily achieved. You know, you were sitting there at 30, you were sitting there at 34 points until five minutes to go in the game. And all of a sudden, DK scores a touchdown, Saints have to score a touchdown. All of a sudden now, it's 48. And you're like, I was just at 34. What happened? This was an easy cover. No, it wasn't. That's what happens in the NFL. So I would say not away from this, but I'm just telling you, it's something where it's not as clear as you might think. I know the under should hit, but 46 and a half with that fast turf and explosive athletes on the edge, that's an ugly number. So that's my assessment on the game. I got the Seahawks covering, not a lot of confidence, only three. Uh, 46 and a half, I have the under with a confidence level of six. I'd say bet on it, but not a huge bet on it. Uh, So let's go to the next game. This is another divisional game um, on the slate. With the Dolphins at the Jets. So here's what I'm expecting from this. I thought about it. When I first saw this, I was like, damn, the Jets are winning this game. And then I thought about it more and more. The Dolphins are a superior team across the board. The only thing that's arguably a place where the Jets are better is that quarterback. And I say arguably because the better quarterback at this stage of their careers is Teddy Bridgewater. He understands the game better. He can manage the game. And as long as he's got the better team, I think he's the better quarterback. He's not going to elevate his team. Zach Wilson has the talent level to elevate his team. It's just, does he make mistakes en route to elevating his team? So, that's the only place where the Jets, to me, are the better team. I I think the Dolphins are just better. You saw how quickly and effectively they were moving the ball, getting chunk plays before Tua got hurt. And then even with Teddy in, they were still able to get some chunk plays because Tyree Kill is just not a real human. I got the Dolphins winning this one 28-21. I do don't I do not like how the Dolphins cover from a defensive scheme. You know, shading and then manning up a guy. The Jets have way too many fast dudes like Garrett Wilson. If you try that garbage with Jer- Garrett Wilson, cancel Christmas, that dude's going to score a touchdown. So, that's why I think the Jets have a chance to score some points in this, but I think the Dolphins just run all up and down the field on them. And for the, for those of you and I've seen some people on Twitter, I'm going to just say it like this, man. If you expect Teddy Bridgewater to come out here and be Patrick Mahomes, that's on you. At this stage, a dude who honestly should be playing flag football after what happened to his knee 
that day in Minnesota at practice when that thing made other grown men throw up from how bad it was. For him to be playing football and have been as good as he was after that, and he's he's at the stage of his career that, I mean, people forget. He was drafted in the 2014 draft. By the way, the dude y'all told me was better than him at quarterback when I knew y'all were full of garbage quietly retired this week in Blake Bortles. So again, back to Teddy. Your expectation for Teddy should be just what the expectation is for a guy like Andy Dalton, former starting quarterbacks who are great backups to have because they have starting caliber minds and they're still good enough to play football. He's going to be good enough to get the damn ball to Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. That's good enough for me. And by the way, Raheem Mostert is not hurt yet. He's running that rock. So 28-21 is the final score. Got the Dolphins. Dolphins are three and a half point favorites. I have them covering here, obviously, seven points. I only have a confidence level of five on this. And the reason I'm saying that is because, listen, I can see the Dolphins winning this one 24-21. Three and a half points. If it was three, I would put it as a confidence level of seven because you could get the push on it. But I just sometimes that hook does you the wrong thing. And a part of it is also communication. If you saw that play last week where Gasecki and Bridgewater, honestly, it felt like Bridgewater threw a mediocre pass, but he read the coverage correctly and Gasecki ran the wrong route. So it should have resulted in an incomplete ball, but it ended up being a pick, if that all makes sense to you. Basically, Gasecki was more to blame, not trying to put out blame, but it looked like he ran the wrong route and he bent, bent went with a bend inside instead of staying where he was. Bridgewater read that, threw it, but it was just a mediocre pass. It didn't look like the right pass to throw in that situation. And again, got picked off. Communication is key, and I don't think the communication level with everyone is as great as it could be, especially with Atua, since he's been the quarterback the entire offseason. Uh, Over-under on this is 46. I have combined score 49. The over here, same thing, coin flip. I say I could have more confidence on this, but I'm putting it at five for right now. I just don't. This is one of those games where I'm like, you know what? Division, rivals, bleh. I don't like some of those sometimes. Sometimes these things can be more contentious. And it could be a lower, score, lower scoring game than I expect. Maybe when the Dolphins' defense dominates it and that 46 isn't covered. And they easily cover the spread, but they don't get that over that we're expecting here. Move on to another divisional matchup, but this time in the NFC South. And we're going to look at the Atlanta Falcons traveling to play against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm going to go ahead and get this out of the way. It's not one of my locks of the week, but I'm damn confident on this one. I had the Bucks winning this one 31-17. And I feel like I'm being a little generous since I had some news earlier that might change my opinion. It's possible that Kyle Pitts might miss this game. We'll talk more about Kyle Pitts from a fantasy perspective on a fantasy show, but I have something to say about this. And I'm going to start here. For everything that's been said, I can look at things from when he was the OC in Tennessee and know that Arthur Smith is a smart person who can scheme things open. I've only heard good things about who he is and how he acts and interacts with people. I'll start there. I don't know if Arthur Smith was involved in drafting Kyle Pitts. And the reason that I say that is because if you pick anyone at number four, they are expected to be a contributor in your scheme, whether it's on offense or defense, right? When you draft a person at number four that comes from a position that's not traditionally drafted number four, 
You're expected for them to exceed just being a piece that's intended to be used. So if it was a quarterback, everyone drafts quarterbacks high, right? If it's a defensive end or a rush end, like rush out outside linebacker, people do that because they want to apply pressure. Cornerback, you get what I'm saying. But when it's a tight end or a guard or someone like that, a middle linebacker, you expect them to be a focal point. I don't have the exact number in front of me, but I heard it like early in the week. Kyle Pitts has run something like 87 routes or something. It That's hor- uh, horrifying to hear that Kyle Pitts is being utilized basically as a blocking tight end. It can't be 87. The, the, Kyle Pitts is being utilized basically as a blocking tight end. And now I look back at what Tennessee used to do. And even when they had Jonu Smith, they came up with innovative ways to get the ball in his hands. But they didn't really make him a focal point because they had Derrick Henry. You don't have Derrick Henry right now. So why I'm saying all this is basically, if you're going to keep doing this with Kyle Pitts, while he still has value, and maybe this is why he's quote unquote hurt, you should look to trade him. Someone will give up a first-round pick, especially if they feel like they're that close for Kyle Pitts, who would actually utilize him. Because I know Arthur Smith is a smart guy, and he can scheme players in the positions. This is not me talking from a fantasy perspective. I'll talk about the fantasy aspect of that tomorrow. Just from a pure football standpoint, square peg, round hole. Does not look okay, does not look good. I have no clue what the hell they're doing with Kyle Pitts. It looks stupid. It would even be better if Kyle Pitts was just used as a ZY receiver or an FY receiver makes more sense, but just even put him out at the Z. Just let, let him play wide receiver at this stage. Literally, literally would be, be a lot better than what's, what's happening currently in Atlanta. It's just awful. So I might be giving too much credit. I think the Bucks might boat race them. I think the Bucks are going to beat the dog crap out of them. In fact, on the fly, I'm going to do something right now. Bucks 38, Falcons 13. I am making a change to that score. I'm still not putting the confidence level of 10 on this, 10 and a half, nine and a half. Bump that. I am. You get a three for one. The first time I've ever done this. You get three locks of the week in a single week. Sitting here just thinking about it. I know DMPs puts together some stuff, but guess what happened on national TV last week, folks? The Bucks got shit on. Kansas City made them look stupid. You know who hates looking stupid? Thomas Edward Patrick Brady. Brady. That dude has zero time to look stupid. That dude is sports petty. That dude is Michael Jordan level petty. Bucks are going to boat race the Falcons this week. Good goodness. I'm just sitting here thinking about it. Yeah, cops level of 10. That is a lock. Again, the spread is nine and a half points. I have a 25-point margin of victory here for the Bucs. Um, Over-under is 47. I have the over. I had a conference level of one. I'm going to bring that up to five. I think the Bucs cover the over almost by themselves. Let's make it four. Because... But seriously, the Falcons might not score in this game. Like, I think the Bucks' defense feels like they were taken advantage of. I, I, 
this might be ugly. For my friends who are Bucks fans, good for you. You get to watch something terrible happen to another squad. And since it's the Falcons, I'm very happy about it because, yes, I'm a Saints fan and I am that level of petty. All right, let me get back into my analyst brain because everything about that game and that situation in Atlanta, all of it frustrates me. Don't have a lot of time left on the show, so then I move on to the next game. Titans at the Commanders. Uh, made mention of this. If you were playing, looking for a streaming option for a fa- from a fantasy perspective, if a team is playing against the Commanders, you want their quarterback. I expect Ryan Tannehill to have a pretty damn good day here against the Commanders, who have no excuse to be this bad at football on defense. The Titans, they still have confusion. Caleb Farley, who was one of my top, I think I might have had him as my top corner last year. Patrick Tertain is very pissed at me. But he's basically been benched. It's just looking bad. So Carson Wentz, who likes to throw the ball deep, he might be able to throw the ball deep. This might be an entertaining game. I have a lower score than you might think. Uh, 24-21 Titans here. I do think that both teams try to establish the run game uh, early on. And then you might see some fireworks late. Um, but, yeah, this is this is what I'm looking at. Uh, Titans winning this one 24-21. Um, Titans are one and a half point favorites. I have a conference level of four that they'll win this game and cover that. Listen, the Commanders can win this game. They can get the ball over the top. You know, Carson Wentz has been trashed the last two weeks. But, again, played against the Eagles. Their defense is pretty damn good. And then he played against the 40, uh, the, the Dallas Cowboys, who have the highest pressure rate in the NFL. Um, if not number one, I think it's number two at this stage because of what the 49ers did. But they're insane. So, he played two of the hardest defensive lines to play against the defenses in general. Let's go ahead and look. This is not that with the Tennessee Titans. So the over-under is 43. I have the over with a combined score of 45. I have a confidence level of 3 on this. I expect this to go over, but this could be an ugly, sloppy game. A lot of turnovers could occur. You have two quarterbacks, one that likes to turn it over and a team that likes to run the ball. Um, So that's where I'm sitting in this. Sticking in the same division as far as the Titans are concerned, the Texans at the Jaguars. Make this pretty simple. One team looks to be pretty good. They just lost to a better team last week. That's the Jaguars. The other team looks to be in serious rebuild mode, and they're just riding the the back of certain players like Damian uh, Damian Pierce. I think the Jags take this one 27-13. I don't have much faith in the, the offense for the Texans. Their defense, while playing decent football, it's not there yet. Um, I think the Jags are just a better team, and I think they're going to take their frustrations out. Uh, look for Trevor Lawrence not to fumble the ball as much. The inclement weather did him in, but he's got to learn how to do better with holding on to the ball. There's no excuse for that to have happened, and I think he's going to clean some of that up. Um, t- the Jaguars are seven-point favorites here. I have a, uh, a conference level eight on this. I think that they do put up points. I think they try to prove a point after what happened last week, and they're explosive on offense. So things should all work out for them. Uh, the over-under is 43 and a half. I have a combined score of 40, so the under's here. I have a confidence level of four on this. I do think it's possible that the Jaguars put up a bunch of points, and the Texans may get a score or two in this and actually push it over that 43 and a half. So let's go on to the 4 p.m. slate. These should be pretty quick. 49ers are coming here to Charlotte, North Carolina, to play against the Panthers. This is going to be an ugly situation. You have one defense in the Panthers that is a pretty good one. But they have no Jeremy Chin. He's out for a while. I think they put him on IR uh, with a calf injury or something like that. He's definitely lower body injury. That might be a hamstring. 
Um, so that doesn't bode well for them as an assistive portion, but Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't throw the ball exceptionally well right now. He's still dealing with coming back from that shoulder surgery. And then the other side, you have a quarterback that struggles, that has the worst total QBR in the entire NFL. I think it's like 20, which is just god-awful. And Baker Mayfield playing against, if not the best, number two for rush percentage. And they only have to rush four to get pressure. This could be awful. Awful, awful, awful. I have the 49ers winning this one 20 to 12. I would, I'm not going to watch this game unless I'm forced to, which is possible. San Francisco is a six and a half point favorite. I have a conference level of six. I think they will cover that. The only reason I don't have this higher is because honestly, I don't trust Jimmy Garoppolo. Not that he's a bad quarterback, but just this whole thing doesn't look good with Trent Williams out. I just don't like what's going on there. Six and a half points is a lot on the road. It's possible that this could be a closer game and could end like literally be a 13 to 10 type game. I just don't trust it. Or 13 to seven, six and a half is a lot of points for a road team. Luckily, it's not five and a half, though, because that's the, the real ugly one. Um, 39 is the over-under on this, and I still have the under. Like, 39 is incredibly low for an NFL game, folks. Getting in the 30s is stupid low. And I still don't have them covering that. 32 is my combined score. I have a confidence level of seven on this. I don't think the Panthers put up more than 12 points, and I'm being nice there. I think they put up single digits in this game. This could really end up being a game where it's legitimately 17 to three. It could, it could be really ugly. It could really be ugly for the Panthers here. Bigger midfield is not the answer, and I think Matt Corral is going to be seeing the field sooner than later. Um, the 425 games, the Cowboys at the Rams. This should be an interesting game to watch that doesn't have a high score, kind of like last week's Monday night game. That was a, a, a bit of a chess match. It was kind of ugly in some respects, but looked a lot better. Like I'd actually watch this game. It could be pretty entertaining. You have two guys that work well from the slot, one who's the best slot receiver in the NFL in Cooper Cup, and another guy in CeeDee Lamb, who, in my opinion, would be one of the best slot receivers if utilized there almost exclusively, much like Cup is uh, for the Rams. I just see this one with the team that has trouble blocking people, facing basically the same exact defensive unit they faced on Monday night, that also does pretty well with guys who drive across the field, you know, Wilson, number six, he's been playing his butt off. So Cup, I don't think he'll be able to, he'll eat, but I don't think he'll be able to dominate or take over this game like he's been able to do at some games in the past. I have the Cowboys winning this one 20 to 17 against the Rams. I don't think the Rams get enough pressure to make Cooper uh, Cooper Rush really be in a bad space. They're not getting a high level of pressure. Aaron Donald's still putting pressure on the quarterback, but no one else is, which is just awful. So the Rams are five and a half point favorites. I have a confidence level of seven. I almost put it at eight, but I'm going with seven uh, for the Cowboys covering this. The only reason I didn't put it higher is the Rams could win this game. Hell, I'll do it on the fly. Confidence level of eight, covering that five and a half. This is just one of those weird games for me. Um, the over-under here is 42 and a half. I have the under here, obviously, but I have a confidence level of six. I would say take the under here. Uh, 42 and a half. I just think both defenses will be able to put them in a position where 42 is too much. Again, I don't think Dak Prescott is going to play in this game. Cooper Rush is probably be the starter. And if Dak Prescott does play, I think that's poor mis- poor management. Sometimes you have to save people from themselves. And I think that people are sometimes, you know, I'll just use the word, they act stupid about stuff. And this is the wrong time for you to bring Dak Prescott back. 
when Cooper Rush is doing the job. Just let him keep doing the job. Dak, you're not going to lose your job, even though there are a decent amount of people in this country that want you to. All right. We're going to have to wrap these up pretty quickly. So Eagles at Cardinals. I have the Eagles winning this one with a funky score of 28 to 23. Funky sometimes comes into play. Eagles are five-point favorites. And something I learned right before this show, Jake Elliott is going to be out, the kicker for the Eagles. So they better hope they score touchdowns because field goals are going to be a premium in this one for them. Uh, This is a push, so I don't have anything on that. The over-under is 49.5. I have a combined score of 51. So I have the over, but I put it with a confidence level of 2. Because, again, now the kicker's out. This could be a really awkward situation where you could end up with an under because they have to go for two on a lot of these plays or they have a mediocre kicker who does not make these kicks. Moving on to the late game on Sunday, the Sunday night game, the Bengals at the Ravens. Ravens just lost a tough one, a heartbreaker with the former unanimous MVP quarterback. Just not getting it done. That's not often for him. He gets the job done the majority of the time with a lot of weight on his shoulders. This is one where I think, I even said Joe Burrow is my must-start this week. I do think Joe Burrow has three touchdowns and 300 yards passing. I don't think it's enough, though. I think the Ravens win this one 27-24. They get back to their roots. They also throw the ball a lot better this week. Those inclement conditions did affect Lamar and that passing game. You saw some off-target throws, and you saw some bad routes run by the receivers. I don't expect that this week. I think that they get things going, and I do expect a pretty good showing. Both defenses are better than you expect, but I do expect more points to be put up. 27-24 Ravens. The over-under, I mean, the the line on this is Baltimore by three, so guess what? It's a push. The over-under is 47. I have the over. 51 is the combined score here. I have a confidence level of five. I say take the over on this one. I do think that these teams go back and forth, and I do think that they put up points. And then you have the final game on the slate. You have the Chiefs hosting the Raiders on Monday Night Football. I'll make this simple. I think the Raiders are in a negative game script most of the time. I think that puts the Chiefs in what they need to be. And I think the Chiefs have learned we can operate without having to try to destroy and dominate by just staying ahead. I think that's what they do in this one. I have the Chiefs winning 28 to 20 against the Raiders in this game. Chiefs are seven point favorites. So I have a confidence level of five on this that they'll cover. I have them winning by eight. I think that they should cover in this game or virtually at worst, they push. I do think they win by at least seven points. The over-under on this is 51. I technically have the under with 48 combined points, but I don't know about that. So I only have a confidence level of four on this. I do expect for this to be uh, close to the best game. I think more run plays will be uh, utilized in this game. Uh, Usually Kansas City was one of those teams that put up a lot of points um, via the pass. But this year, they're starting to do a lot more by just utilizing that run game Pacheco is probably getting more carries in this game. Run right at those linebackers for the Raiders. All right, so that was every game on the slate. A little bit convo about each game. The final score prediction for the game. Then I gave you the spread, the over-under, and then confidence scores uh, for them. This is the first time in the two years that I've been doing uh, Turk Talk Thursdays that I've ever had three locks. Okay, I don't call it my lock of the week unless I call it Stone Cold Lock of the Century of the Week. If you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. But I have three of them. I will repeat. I have the Green Bay Packers covering eight points. I have the Buffalo Bills covering 14 freaking points. And I have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers covering nine and a half points. 
These are all the largest numbers on the on the line. But given that all three of these teams feel like they're they have points to prove. I think they put up points and they luckily all three get injury riddle offenses that are either starting rookie quarterbacks or injured quarterbacks. And that does not bode well against these teams that all three have really good defenses. All right. Enjoy the Thursday night game, folks, for the Chopping It Up with CJ podcast network. This is Turf Talk Thursdays, the fifth episode of season two. Chris James signing off. Enjoy Thursday night football, like I said, and give yourself a break. We all need one. Take care. Bye-bye.